Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. How are we? Yeah, doing well? Good. Today I'd like to, the purpose really is to stir up um, hunger on the inside of us for what God has for us, not only in the future, but what he has for us through his word. And today, um, if we can put that first slide up, I'd talk, let's talk about this guy. Nope, the other one. He's the second guy. Yeah, that guy. That is William Tyndale. Uh, this is nearly the 500th anniversary of his death. It was October 6th when he died. Um, he was a guy who, in the 1200s, um, you know, the Catholic Church made it illegal to read the scriptures in anything but Latin and illegal for the laity or women, especially, to read the Bible. Do you realize that? So there were people like William Tyndale who had a heart for the scriptures to get to everybody. And to be in English, it never, the Bible had never been translated in English. So he began the work of translating and getting this word out so the people could read the Bible. Imagine not being able to read the Bible and not having it in your language. It was illegal to do so, and he began doing that at the cost of his own life. He was found guilty by the Catholic Church for allowing the laity and women who could read, and the sentence was death. So he put that next slide up. They pulled him up to this pole, strangled him, and then burned him with fire. William Tyndale. Sometimes you'll see books published by Tyndale publishers, right? That's really namesake after, after this, this guy, William Tyndale. And there's so many others who have done so much to enable us to have the word of God in English, having multiple copies, having, my goodness sakes, the, the words of Jesus in red. I love that they've done that. And I'm so grateful for what we have. And sometimes we can take for granted the amazing things that we have. And the Bible, I think, is one of those. I, I, would, I would guess that each one of us probably has no less than five copies of the Bible in our house. And then when you, if you have the the app on your phone, you've got another 50 translations or so you're carrying around with you wherever you go. But a huge price has been paid for us to have this word and have it, have it hidden in our heart. And God communicates to us oftentimes through the word, through the Bible, through the scriptures. And it tells the story of how to live. It tells the story of really this Jewish family all the way through from Abraham all the way through. And into the future, telling us what's going to happen. Things have yet to happen that the Bible describes for us. Highlights to us what is right, what's wrong, so we know what is right and what's wrong. Shows us what is true, who Jesus is, what God is like himself, describes him. And of course, we know that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time, and it is every year. Several times in my life, I have um, climbed mountains in the dark. It's a, maybe a weird thing about me, 
But um, I remember when I lived in Sri Lanka, I climbed this mountain called Adam's Peak, where they think that Adam, the first man, was. Uh, this is part of the local culture belief system there. But anyway, I climbed it at night because I wanted to see the sunrise from at the top of the mountain. And then when I was growing up, this is really, really came from, I would go hunting with my dad, and we would hunt for elk and for deer, and we would get up really early, drive through the night in the dark to as far as you could go with the truck, and then walk up the mountain at night so you can get the right places where you are hoping that the animals are when the, at first light. And to do that, you know, um, every single time you have to have a flashlight. Or else you're not going to get to where you are hoping to be when the, the, the sun comes up. And if you don't have that light with you, you can easily walk off course. You can easily walk off a ledge. You could die real easily if you cannot see where you're going. And the way that God made, it's amazing. You go to Africa and these animals are living throughout the night hunting, and they can see really well. God gave them eyes to see in the dark. He did not do that for, for us. He made it so that we need to have light, naturally, but also spiritually. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, your word, right, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So what illuminates the path in a dark world is his words. And if they are not in us, if we don't have them or live by them, then we are, whether we realize it or not, we're walking blind. And we're going to make mistakes. We're going to be deceived. We're going to fall off edges of things and start believing crazy things. And we're watching that all around us right now, right? We could go ahead and kill the lights in here. If you guys would bear with me for just a second, it's going to get dark for a minute. There it goes. Except for my little iPad up here. This really is a little bit of like the world, right? It is darkened. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. It says in 1 John 5, 19 that the power, the world, lies in the power of the evil one. The world, the whole world system, lies in the power of the evil one. But Jesus said he is the light and we are the light of the world. So he has made it. Where there is light, there's light in the word, and he's made us to be lights as well. And he also says of the religious people of Jesus' day that they are blind guides. Though they have the scriptures, they do not know God. They've nullified God's power and his word by their traditions and their darkened heart. But you and I are the light of the world, and we need God's light to show us where to go, you know? This is that flashlight that I, not this one exactly, but a light that I've used throughout my life, walking up mountains in the night, it changes everything. And you don't live insecure. You don't live in fear. You know where you're going to go. And all you need to know is what the next place to put your foot is. You don't have to see everything out there. And most lights aren't going to shine on Everything, some stronger lights can see a distance, which is helpful. But we need the scriptures, which is the light that illuminates our path. And if you can just um, recognize and 
see and identify that we need the scriptures every day. We need them in our heart. We need them in our life. You can turn the lights back on. Thank you. There is a battle over what you believe and how you think. There's an absolute battle over it, and the enemy is out to win this. He wants you to think the way that he wants you to think and believe craziness, things that are not true, and the Lord has given us the scriptures which shows us what is true. And without the scriptures, without the light here, all we have are opinions, feelings, and circumstances to go on. Man, you, you lead your life based on opinions, whether it's your own or someone else's, or feelings, yours or someone else's, or circumstances, yours or someone else's, and it's a mess. You will be deceived. You will choose the wrong thing and find yourself on a path that's opposite of what God has for us. And that's where the world is. If you, I've talked to pilots uh, we have some pilots here in this fellowship as well, but I've talked to pilots during some of their training and flying, and sometimes you will fly, and you've probably all been on a plane like this, where you go through clouds. Well, you look out the window, and all you see is just white. You see nothing. You have no idea where you're going. And that happens to pilots. They can be flying. When they go through thick clouds, they can't see a thing. That'd be terrifying. You're going 500 miles an hour and you cannot see in front of you. So what they do is they don't rely on their feelings. They don't rely on what they think might be the right way to go. They go by instruments. They go from outside of themselves to something else. And I've heard stories of pilots who will be flying through clouds and not rely on their instruments, think their instruments are broken because they feel like I need to be doing this instead. And they'll turn and turn, and when they come out of cloud bike, they might be upside down or going the, the wrong direction or headed straight for the ground when they go by their feelings in the midst of the clouds. They have to go by the instruments, and the instruments will show them how to get through the clouds. And this is our instrument to know how to fly through things that seem foggy, that seem murky, that don't seem clear, in the world, the Lord has made things very clear for us. And it's vital that we have this. For clarity of thought, for clarity of mind, we're supposed to have the mind of Jesus. And we know what he's thinking by the words that he has said, right? Not what others think, but what he thinks. In the past few years, I've mentioned up here on stage, just as an example, a few times I've talked about you know, sexual immorality, from adultery to homosexuality, and any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman, the Bible calls sin. It's, very, it's really simple, and it's throughout the scriptures. It's not like one thing. And nearly every time I've talked about that, someone comes up to me afterwards. And I've had this twice in a row, where, and it was a younger person each time, different person, and they come up to me and like rebuking me, saying, why would you talk about this in a church? Because God doesn't talk about it in the scriptures. And I said, what made you think? Where did you get that idea that God didn't talk about this? And they said, well, it's not in the Bible. I said, well, would you, just with me, let's look at three passages. There are dozens, but let's look at three. Let's look at Romans chapter one. Let's look at Timothy. Let's look at Romans, excuse me, I already said Romans. 
1 Corinthians 6, 9, and let's just see what the Bible says. And it's so very clear. There's no um, middle ground. It's not foggy. It's really clear. But if you don't have the scriptures, if you don't have that light, then you just start going by feelings. Then you just go by, well, you know, I know this person and they're really a great person and they're feeling this way, so it must be okay. Or, or you know, all those, there are so many different things. But the Bible makes things clear on so many, many things, all the important things, all the things in life that we really need direction on, the Bible makes clear. Psalm 119, verse 11 says, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God. Your word, I've hidden it in my heart. I not only read it, but I hide it in there so that I won't end up sinning against you, Lord. Without hiding his word in my heart, I'm going to sin against him because I'm not gonna know what is sin and what isn't. But the Bible explains to us what sin is so I can, I can live the right way. If we can put up that other slide. This guy, you know who this guy is? His name is John Sung, S-U-N-G. John Sung, probably none of you have heard of him or very few of you have heard of him. Um, he was born in 1901 in China, grew up, in a Christian home, his dad was a Methodist preacher. And John is brilliant, just a brilliant guy, decided to go to the States. His dad helped sponsor him. He came to the States to get his education, got his bachelor's, master's, and PhD in five years in chemistry. Yeah, real dumb guy, huh? After he got those degrees he felt this pull, this tug from the Lord to actually not go into that field but to go into ministry of some kind. So he said, I wanna get trained in theology. So he went to this school, which I believe it's still in existence. It's Union Theological Seminary in New York. I have a friend who went there as well. And this seminary does not teach that Jesus is God or that God is alive. They call themselves a seminary, if you can imagine this, okay? This is in our country, and this was then, this is the 1920s. And they start saying these crazy things about God that weren't true, and that he was dead, and his faith starts to fail, and he's really confused. He doesn't know what to do, and he goes to a meeting. It's kind of like a Mario Murillo-type meeting, but it's a 15-year-old girl who is this 15-year-old evangelist who would who would preach the gospel, people would get healed, and he listens to her and he's dumbfounded by her. the clarity, the truth, he hears the gospel, and he has an experience with God where he gets saved, basically. He gets baptized in the Holy Spirit, he starts speaking in another language, and he gets so excited, he goes back to his professors at Union Theological Seminary to share with them this great news that God's really not dead. He's alive, he's living, he's living inside of me, and I can now speak these other languages. And they committed him to an insane asylum. One of their students, for 163 days, he was in an insane asylum. Committed there by the theological 
leaders because he believed that God was alive. This is in America, a long time ago. He had some help in China that were diplomats. They started on his behalf because his dad knew he was in this place, and they got him out. He got on a ship, and while, but I forgot to say this, while he was there for 163 days, he basically did one thing. He read the Bible. He read it through, cover to cover, 40 times in 163 days. 40 times, all the way through. Now, he's a brilliant guy. He could retain things, and he could learn quickly. He could read quickly. Read it through 40 times. And by the time he was done, by the time he got released, he was so convinced of who Jesus is, who the Father is, who the Holy Spirit is, and who he is, that he took his degrees that he'd had and threw them in the ocean on the boat ride back to China, except for his PhD, he wanted to show his dad, <laughs> became an evangelist, so convinced, getting the word in his heart, reading this and, and convinced of the truth that he led 100,000 people to Jesus. In a few short years, about a dozen years, he died very young. In a few short years, he led 100,000 people to Jesus. And really, it came through reading this, getting this inside of him and believing that it's true. And he helped change his nation. Pretty amazing. There are a lot of things that clamor for our attention in this world. A lot of social media, news, sports, movies, all kind of stuff. And this is quiet. It doesn't clamor for your attention, but it's an invitation to dive in. And in diving in, not only do we get to learn these words, but it's a, I say this often, it's a diving board into relationship with God himself. Because that is the other part that happens when we get the word in your heart, is you want to get to know him, the author of the word. The Pharisees didn't do that. They just read it for information. And they could beat other people up with it. But we're to read this so that we can know him. And there's this flow of the spirit and truth when we have his word. And there's relationship and conversation and exchange back and forth. And God becomes more and more real. And there's revelation. We know what's true. We can walk what's true. We can be obedient. All of those things happen as we hide this word, as we eat it. As we grow in it, uh, our team's in Africa right now. One of the things that we do is do hygiene education. That's because for thousands of years, and it was the same in this country not that long ago, 120 years ago, but for thousands of years in Africa, people believe that they get sick and their children get sick due to superstitious things. That they didn't do this with a witch doctor and this didn't happen, and so they think that's why my kid is sick. When in reality, it's because they have poop on their hands. Truth. And they don't wash their hands after they use the bathroom or when they're cooking dinner. And their kids get sick and die. Or they have dirty water. The water is unclean. You have those kind of things. But it's disease pathways, which are so very simple. So we, through our training, show them through pictures from microscopes, looking at bacteria inside of water, or on their hands and show them, no, this is what's killing your children. It's not a superstition. You have to say it over and over and over and over. It's kind of like my mom had to say to me, how many thousand times when I came out of the bathroom, did you wash your hands? 
right? She didn't say that once, and we said that hundreds of times to our kids. Wash your hands. You got to wash your hands until it changes your mindset, and then you do it automatically. The scriptures I need to read over and over and over and over to change my mind to give me his thoughts. I can't just read it once. I, don't just, I can't just know something. Yeah, I've been there, done that. I've, I've heard that. I've read that. No, I need it over and over so that I change, so that my life starts living according to the scriptures, not according to the world or to feelings, because the world is so broken. And feelings often lie. You know that, right? Feelings often lie. They're not always true. Sometimes I don't feel like an heir of salvation. Sometimes I don't feel like a son of God or righteous. But then you read the scriptures and you read that, wait a minute, Jesus said that I am the temple of God, 1 Corinthians 6. He lives inside of me. The scriptures say that Jesus said this, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always. So he's with me all the time and he lives on the inside of me. That's what the scriptures say. If I know that and I read that and I read it and I read it and I believe it, I'm telling you what, then I'm going to live differently. I'm not gonna be swayed by feelings. Feelings of feeling low or depressed or where's God or he's probably not listening and he's not even here. All those things go away if I know what the word says, that I can't base my life on feelings. And they go on and on, all these things that Jesus has done for us. You've probably heard this passage a lot. Even Oprah has said it. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Everyone knows that passage, right? Out of John, chapter 8. However, that's usually the only part that's shared. Let's back up a verse. Just one verse, John 8, verse 31, the verse before. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, that's a big one. If you continue in my word, some translations say, if you abide in my word, if you live in my word, the words that I've given to you, the words that I've spoken, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. It's not just knowing some truth that sets you free. It's abiding in his word, which reveals truth, and that truth makes you free. Huge difference. I've got to know the words of Jesus, or I am not free. I've got to abide in them, live in them. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. For every good work. This scripture is inspired by God. It's profitable for us. One that I use often is Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth. We can't just take one verse and create a doctrine out of it. That's gonna cause a lot of problems, and has. I could give you lots of examples of those. The sum of your word is true. So I'm going to look at all of the passages here and see that what God says, the sum of his word, it reveals truth. That's what I'm going to establish doctrine on. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, he said this, your words were found and I ate them. 
Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. He realizes his calling when he finds the words of God and he eats them. And I think one way that we can see that today is to, again, ingest this, not just read this for information's sake. You can have a lot of information up here. You can have a lot of scripture up there. But I want it to be a part of who I am. You know, this outward body that we have is a product of everything we've eaten for the last however many years. Right? What you eat on the nat- in the natural helps make up who you are. In the spiritual, it's very similar. What I eat, what I consume with my eyes. Your eyes feed your spirit. Your ears feed your spirit. And what we listen to, what we think about, what we read creates the spirit man that God lives within, that God joins and we want it to be full of his word. I have a friend who nearly has all of the Psalms memorized. It is so fun to be around him, especially to pray with him. Because as he prays, it's like Psalms. It's like the, the, the Bible opens up and just starts talking. He has the Psalms memorized. I went to a discipleship training school once when I was 20 years old, and one of the speakers came in. He had the biggest Bible I've ever seen in my life, probably four times the size, set it on the table, And he lectured for two or three days and he never opened it. That's because he had, when he met the Lord, he grew up in a uh, spiritual growing up. The church believed that when you meet Jesus, you need to memorize a minimum of 2,000 scriptures your first year as a baby believer. So he memorized 2,000 scriptures his first year as a believer. And he said, I'm going to memorize If Jesus came to the earth and he's God, then I need to at least, at a minimum, memorize everything he said. So he memorized every word in red, basically the Gospels, and some in Acts, and some in Revelation, right? He memorized all those words, and man, it just, he would speak and just quote scripture after scripture and passage and chapters just flowed out of him. Um, You know, when Bobby was here last week, that guy, he probably shared 50 scriptures with us last week. I don't know how many, a lot. He's been in the word. The word is in him. And it comes out of him. And you know what to do. You know what decisions to make. You know what's right and what's wrong. It's an amazing thing when we eat and consume the word. And the enemy does not want you to do that. He's going to give you every other distraction to stay out of the word. To stay out of the word. Do not read that thing. Don't open it. Don't memorize anything so that you are led by feelings or by fear or all those kind of things. But we've got to get the word inside of us. Make it a point to read, eat, consume the scriptures every day. You know, when Satan tempted Jesus, you know how Jesus responded, right? With the word. It is written. This is Jesus himself. This is God himself walking. When he gets tempted by Satan, he responds to Satan, not with great answers, which he could have, but he says, it is written, bam, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. 
It is written. He just, he says that over and over. Jesus had the word hidden, who was the word, had the word written on the inside of him, and it came out of him when he's tempted. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has come to you, but that which is common to man, and the Lord will provide a way of escape to get out of it. But that way of escape is oftentimes because we know his word and this temptation comes and we know, no, that's not, I'm not biting on that. I'm not dealing with that. I'm not going to succumb to that temptation. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. To accurately handle the word of truth, we have to read and know the truth. And that's really the scriptures and the spirit together. If you aren't already, I encourage you to read and memorize passages of the Bible and have your kids do it. Grandkids, even if it gets inside of them and they don't fully understand it, it will come to them later. The Lord will use that. And for us to to read it. When I was in that discipleship school, one of the things they had us do was memorize 10 verses a week. So that wasn't going to be 2,000, but we did 10 verses a week. I wrote them on cards, three by five cards. I'd write the the passage and then the address on the back side. And I would just uh, take that with me in the car, put that in the house, put that on my refrigerator and quiz myself and get the word on the inside of me. And I'm telling you, those same scriptures were from when I was 20 years old are still in there. They're still in there. That helps me, helps me make decisions, helps me live. Having the word hidden in your heart. Seeing it so precious. If we see, whatever we see precious, we're gonna take care of, we're gonna hide, we're gonna protect. And we wanna protect and hide this word on the inside of us. All right. Not only does the Bible tell us what is real, what is true, what has happened in the past, and what's to come. One of the things it also speaks of is Israel. And I wanna transition just a little bit to talk about some of what's going on right now, because this has also been written in the Bible, uh, in part. And I shared two weeks ago about the feasts. If you'll remember, I talked about the feasts and how God uses the feasts as his clock. And the major things that he has done on the planet, he's done at the same time that the feasts happen. The first four feasts have been fulfilled, the last three have yet to be fulfilled, and they're fall feasts. And so to be paying attention as to when Jesus will return has a lot to do with the feast schedule. In addition to that, we've got the word, the scriptures that talk about, not just the feast, but talk about, they have prophecy that explain things that will happen in the future, things that we are seeing in our own lifetime ahead of Jesus returning. And part of that is paying attention not only to the feast, but paying attention to what happens in Israel. Because what happens in Israel, it says in the Bible that the natural comes first and then the spiritual, right? That's a scripture, Galatians, in the natural and then the the spiritual. And so natural body of Christ would be Israel. Spiritual is the whole body of Christ and the spirit where we have been grafted into the Jews, that heritage, that kingdom around the world. But natural is Israel. And you can see through what is happening some of the things that we get closer and closer to the end of Jesus returning. There are things for us to, 
as Jada was saying, to be on our posts, to be praying, to be diligent, to be paying attention. Um, because the enemy is about deceiving all the time. And there are things we need to be praying about. We are in the midst of a world that has many wars going on right now. Jesus talked about this in Luke 21 and Matthew 24. He said, there will be a lot of wars going on in the end times. Uh, we got wars right now in Sudan, Myanmar, Ethiopia, Ukraine, and now Israel. Um, you know, what has happened in Ukraine, just think about this in the last 18 months, when Russia attacked them, politics aside, Russia comes in, attacks them, there have been about 120,000 Ukrainians that have died, probably double that in Russians, Russian military, but so many of the Ukrainians were civilians. Think about this, 20,000 children have been abducted and disappeared. 20,000 and taken to Russia and have no idea where they are. What's happened to them? It's just horrific. It just, uh, just breaks your heart to see these wars that are going on and the hurt and pain that is being caused, devastation, death. And then over the last eight days, we've seen in Israel this attack from Hamas, from Islamic terrorist organization, that has in their charter to destroy Israel, annihilate it, and kill all Jews. I mean, that's in the charter of this organization. This is, and there are other countries that have that in their charter as well. And you see, in the way that God has done things with these people, his people, the Jewish people, the enemy has tried to destroy them over and over and over and over. It's the enemy's mission to destroy them. And I think in part because... They have a lot, not only they have done, but a lot yet to do, right? When you read Zechariah 12, which is a prophetic book written by one of the prophets, part of the prophecy is that Jesus doesn't return until the Jewish people themselves recognize Jesus and basically call for him to return. They need to be here. And the enemy doesn't want the Jewish people calling out for Jesus to return, recognizing that he's Messiah. So he's going to do everything he can to annihilate, to kill, to destroy, to harm, and stir up many other nations and other people groups to have as their goal in life, their goal to annihilate and kill the Jews, to annihilate and kill uh, this nation, to destroy it, the nation of Israel, this sliver of a nation. Nine or 10 million people there, the size of New Jersey, that the enemy is all about destroying. And not that the government of Israel is perfect, not that they are even godly, but you can see the forces of evil in the world coming against this nation that was predicted and talked about throughout the scripture. And even when its founding happened, that was a modern day miracle. It was before I was born, but in 1948, when the nation of Israel was formed, I'm, I'm amazed this isn't talked about more, to be honest, because it is so spectacular. You realize this, right? That they were, the diaspora, there were still Jew, some Jews living on the land. For 3,000 years, they lived on that land. Many of them were chased away, persecuted, went all other places. And then the, the Bible says, I'm going to bring them back to their own land. 
Read Ezekiel 37 and 38. I'm going to bring them back to the land. And in 1948, this has never happened before, a whole people group comes back to their land and they have their own nation again. May 14th, 1948. On day one of being a new nation, they're attacked by five other nations. Day one. It's like having a, like birthing a baby and then five grown adults attack it. Israel's a brand new nation. They don't have an air force. They don't have anything. They're just brand new, brand new nation, one day old. Five nations with their armies come and attack it. And Israel wins. That's, that was day one. That was only by God helping them who had prophesied that they would be established and have their own nation again. God gave the land to them a long time ago, like 3,000 years earlier. So the land was given to them by God. That's amazing to me. They get reestablished. They get attacked. They win. There's another war in 67. They win. Everything that's come against them has not worked. And yet we are still looking in Ezekiel 38 of future war that we might see maybe in the beginning of right now where even a greater army will come against them. And guess what will happen? God will win. God will win. And I think it'll be a major, major one. I, think this, I don't think this is it right now. Maybe it's leading up toward that because it speaks of um, really armies from the north coming against them, which we're not seeing that quite yet. A little bit. There's been Hezbollah, which is just north of them in Lebanon, shooting rockets in. And my concern right now, in part of what's going on with the Hamas, is that Hezbollah will fully join in. They have a lot more rockets than Hamas does. Um, but we need to definitely be praying for them, for the people, for other areas around the world that are war-torn. We can pray. Our prayers make a difference. There are things that are moving with this clock right now, coming toward the end, where the righteous, those who know Jesus, are being purified, are being tested as well. There's a, there's a, the Bible talks, Jesus talked about this, a great falling away at the end. Those who have followed Jesus and fall away from him, the great apostasy. And I think a lot of that has to do with not knowing the word and going by feelings and falling away from God. I've watched it in friends. You've watched it in friends, have you not? See people fall away from God entirely and embrace something completely different. Man, it breaks my heart. I mean, it makes you just want to cry. We've got to know the scriptures. Know the word. Follow the spirit. And you were born for such a time as this one. God saved you for now. You could have been born 100 years ago. You weren't. You were born today with a very clear purpose. God has purpose for every single one of us. And part of that purpose is not only knowing the word and knowing him, but following him. And he's got us doing things which are taking action, which is where we got our motto from, Daniel eleven thirty two: Those who know their God will display strength and they'll take action. We have things that we are supposed to do out of love, out of God's compassion, and we're called, as it says in Timothy, the church is called to be the pillar of truth the pillar and support of truth.
the church. Jesus' church is here to be the pillar in support of truth. It's not going to come through governments or the UN or anything else. It comes through the body of Christ. We're here for a reason, and we have prayers to pray. We have action to take. We have acts of love to demonstrate. And I'd like to, just as I, I close here right now, um, would you stand with me? Would we, um, let's just pray a little bit together, if that's okay. Not only to do what we're supposed to be doing, but to pray into things we're supposed to be praying. I remember um, when I worked for, uh, I worked for the CIA for five and a half years. And one mission that I went on, I can't tell you where, but one mission, I was in a room with world leaders. And I was the communications guy, so no one knew who I was. I was sitting over in the corner. I wasn't a part of the conversation. And as I'm there looking around the room at these world leaders, the Spirit of God just spoke to me, I planned for you to be here right now. And I thought, why, Lord? I don't have a voice to speak anything. No one knows my name. I have no place here. I'm way down on the food chain. And the Lord said, I brought you here to look around and to pray and to prophesy in the Spirit in this room things over these men's lives, their countries that they represent, to pray. I said, okay. So I'm over there in the corner. Everybody's drinking and smoking and talking, and I just scanned the room with my back to the wall and just started praying and prophesying under my breath all around the room to these men, to these people, to these nations. And that was the purpose God had for me right there. It was a silent one. No one knew about it Tell you right now. What does he have for us? Our prayers can make a huge difference. The Lord is looking for someone whose heart is completely his, says, so that he can strongly support that person. He's looking for someone that will stand with him in prayer. I remember um, our old friend Bob Jones saying, you know, there are thousands and myriads of angels that don't have a lot to do. And they're waiting for the saints to pray, which God then hears that prayer and releases angels to do things. Think about that. They are ministers to the saints. That's what the Bible says about angels. One thing it says about them is they're, they're ministers to saints. And so Jada had us praying a little bit this morning for the saints, for the body of Christ around the world. Let's, um, let's do that as well as we pray for Israel, Ukraine, and whatever is on your heart. We can, um, let's pray together and then just maybe silently whatever God has you pray as well. So first, Lord, we just stand together as your body, part of your body, a small part of your body, worldwide body of Jesus Christ here. And we are looking to you the Savior of the world, the one who gave everything so that we could have freedom and life and wholeness, forgiveness, that we could have your Spirit live inside of us. And now, Holy Spirit, as you live inside of us, would you pray through us what is on your heart to pray? And would you use us to not be afraid in these days, to not be afraid in these days at all, no fear, You've not given us a spirit of fear, you said, but of power and love and a sound mind. So we will pray, not with timidity, but with power. We will pray with confidence 
Because he who is in us is greater than he that's in the world. Doesn't matter who it is in the world. We know that you in us is greater. And if you are for us, who could be against us? So we right now lift up together as this fellowship, as this lighthouse in Winston-Salem, we lift up the nation of Israel as well as the Palestinian people that are hurt and harmed and running and scared. Lord, we lift up the Jewish people, your nation, Israel, that you've called yours. We lift them up and Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your supernatural intervention to stop the plans of the enemy, to break the powers of darkness, to set free those that are kidnapped, to bring back people to families. Lord, we ask for your protection over that nation and over those people. And we speak and ask you, Father, for your salvation to come to the Jewish nation, to the Palestinians, to the Arab states around there. We ask for salvation. We ask for dreams and visions, for open visions of you, Jesus. Lord, that you would save the lost, that you would save those who are committing murder. Would you help them? Would you set them free? Would you introduce yourself? And Lord, we ask again for your protection. We ask for your help. We ask for your wisdom for leaders, your great wisdom that you would lead them and reveal your word to them. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.